Welcome everybody to Dragon Quest FM, where we talk about and obsess over Dragon Quest. Once again, I'm Austin. BJ is still out. He will hopefully be back next time to join us once and for all. But this is the fifth and final episode of our deep dive into Dragon Quest VII. It's also officially 2021, uh, if you're listening to this the day it goes live, which is really exciting. So happy new year, everybody. Before we get into today's episode, I do want to give a huge thank you to everyone for listening to us this past year. Dragon Quest FM saw an incredible amount of growth in 2020, which we got to see thanks to Spotify's 2020 Wrapped that they're doing. We especially want to thank our international audience. We got some major boosts in the UK, especially. Our listens went up by like 300% from 2019. 300%. That's just, it's crazy. We also got a boost of 146% in Canada. So big thank you to our neighbors to the north. I promise I'm not just going to be shouting out uh, statistics and numbers at you guys this whole episode, but it is really exciting stuff. And DQFM reached 36 countries this past year. So to all of our international audience, just thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And it's not all internationally either. We saw our listeners rise by a huge amount in the U.S. too. So whether you've listened to every single episode of the show or you're listening for the first time ever today, just thank you so, so much. Without rambling too much about this past year, let's talk about the villains, bosses, monsters that just make Dragon Quest VII so memorable. Since BJ wasn't going to be here for this episode, I went ahead, like in all of our deep dive episodes, and went on Twitter to ask y'all what you thought about the bosses, monsters, villains in Dragon Quest VII. And so I'm going to read some of those, but also kind of talk about my my personal faves as well. Now, I know we've talked about monsters pretty extensively when we were talking about monster vocations and just some of the other story points that we've covered in previous deep dive episodes. So I'm going to try not to repeat myself too much in, in today's episode. So we went over to Twitter and we asked people, you know, what is your favorite Dragon Quest villain, monster, boss, whatever. And we got quite a few interesting responses. So a DQ fan draws near, I love that name, by the way, I said, Zeppel is pretty sweet. Now Zeppel, I think they're called like hybrids or something like that on the 3DS version. They're called something else on 3DS. They're called Zeppel in the PS1 version of the game. They show up in in Hubble, for those of you who play the 3DS version. It's called Madra, I believe, on the PS1 version. And it's whenever you're fighting the envoy or the emissary or whatever he's called uh, that's there in that town. These are kind of like the the monsters that that flank either side of him there. And the design is cool. Uh, We've talked about uh, this kind of monster design in the past, it may have been during our Dragon Quest IX deep dive episodes. I think BJ may have mentioned it was one of his favorite monsters, or maybe it was in a Halloween episode we did. Either way, this design has definitely come up in a previous episode. Winter Melody said, Oh goodness, I love a lot of them. The Stranger was such a goofy villain with such a hilarious plan. Sulk had such amazing buildup, and then it ends up changing nothing, which I love. But you can't top or go to Mir. Uh, I know it's been said before, but he killed God with lots of exclamation points and question marks. And we're definitely going to be talking about Orgotamir uh, closer to, to the end here since he's the final boss. But I do want to mention Sulk 
because I really like Sulk as well. I mean, Sulk is cool. Dragon designs in Dragon Quest games are always nice. Sulk, he's the reason it's dark and not again. He's called Dark Draco on the PS1 version. And I did want to at least mention that for just a minute because in a previous episode during our deep dives of Dragon Quest Seven, I'd mentioned about how one thing I did not like about the PS1 version of Dragon Warrior Seven or some of the other older Dragon Warrior games is the weird spelling capitalization uh, that they put in for like monsters and other things. And Dark Draco is one of those examples. You know, it's like capital D A R K, capital D R A C O, but it's all like one word, Dark Draco. And I just maybe it's just because I did not grow up with that because for whatever reason, I just don't like it. Uh, I think Skulk is kind of a better, uh, it, it, Sulk is a better, if not name, then at least it looks nicer. <laughs> it looks like the spelling of it looks nicer to me. Slime Knight said Gracos, one of the funnier boss encounters in the game. Gracos 5, Gracos V. I will say exactly what I, I, told, I responded to Slime Knight. I'm always going to love sea monster designs, so I'm, I'm right there with you. I love that design in Dragon Quest VI as well. The underwater sections of Dragon Quest VI are some of my favorite in the entire game. At some point, I know we're going to do deep dives on Dragon Quest VI, and you guys are going to hear me ramble on and on and on about just how great all the underwater stuff is in this game. And so I'm always going to be a huge fan of underwater stuff. The underwater stuff in Dragon Quest XI is some of my favorite parts of that game. I mean, there's just so much that, for whatever reason, I've always enjoyed like ocean stuff, underwater stuff. I mean, it's one of the main reasons why I, I live near the ocean now as an adult <laughs> from moving away from Tennessee. And I just, you know, I've always enjoyed that. And so the, the sea monster designs and the ocean stuff in these games are definitely always going to be towards the top of my list as well. Solidarity sometimes said, is it too annoying to just say slimes? They always bring a smile to my face. And notice I refrain from saying, is it goo annoying? Which is a pretty good one. And I'm going to say no. Slimes, it's never wrong to say slimes. Slimes are amazing. I mean, I, I love blue slimes. I have like, I don't know, 25 or so of them just sitting around randomly in my house. There's like four or five in my living room and kitchen. And then I have another four or five probably up in my room and then double that in my home office. And there's just all sorts of slimes scattered around my house. So no, of course not. If you say slime is your favorite monster in Dragon Quest Seven, a slime can totally be your favorite monster in Dragon Quest Seven. And even like I mentioned in last week's episode, that was one of my favorite things about the monster vocations in DQ7 is that you get to become a slime if you want. Not that the slime is that tough, but you still you get to walk around the world as a slime, which is just pretty unique and cool and i really i really like that a lot a ton of people though said orgotamir so we have iolia the third who said i thought orgotamir was one of the more successful big baddies from the dq series really memorable especially due to the fact that the game is so long giving you time to hate on him and yeah, I agree with that, especially because you you fight him once and then later on in the game, not not too much later, considered the the breadth of Dragon Quest seven, but you do fight him again later and then he's got like four forms. And so, yeah, I definitely agree that he's, he's very memorable because of that. 
Sparrow also said, honestly, Orgotamir, he defeated God. That's freaking cool AF. I like the four elemental spirits as well, just because they are cool. And yeah, I mentioned the four elemental spirits at some point in this deep dive. I do not remember which episode it was. But yeah, I love those designs as well. I have the monster book, the monster encyclopedia that came out for like the 25th anniversary, I think, of the series. Uh, That was one of the the, uh, Christmas presents my wife gave me this past year. And it's like one of the few Dragon Quest art books I didn't own already. It's all in Japanese, but it's got all the monsters and everything. And there's a page that's just the elemental spirits from Dragon Quest Seven, And I just, I love it. So let's talk about Orgotamir for just a, a couple of minutes here. Because he is the big bad, the final boss of Dragon Quest Seven. Now in terms of, in terms of depth of character, I guess, Orgotamir feels pretty pretty flat. I mean, he's not like Corvus from 9 or Sorrow from Dragon Quest 4 where they they have a lot of like humanity in them. I mean, Orgotamir is pretty much just just that Dragon Quest evil demon lord, you know, big bad that you're going to have to fight at some point. But the reason he stands out is because he's really 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 bad. Kind of like some people mentioned on Twitter already is that, you know, he is responsible for killing God at one point in the game. You, you find this out and it's like a huge reveal. So spoiler, I guess it's too late to say spoiler, but there is a spoiler there for the end of the game. I mean, he's just, he's just, he's super, super evil. His first form, his first form, when you meet him, he looks kind of like what I always think of at least in both the PS1 version and 3DS is he kind of looks like a, uh, like a Kira Toriyama drew like David Bowie, like Ziggy Stardust era David Bowie and infused him with that typical like villain skin that Akira Toriyama likes, you know, where it's kind of like a purpley color. That's what his first form looks like to me. He looks like some Ziggy Stardust 60s, 70s rocker from outer space kind of thing. The second form is like this giant demon worm that reminds me of like something from Starship Troopers. (laughs) And then he turns into this like grotesque melted version of David Bowie. And then you aren't finished yet because Orgotamir, much like the game itself, is very long. So you're going to have multiple forms to fight through here. His fourth form, his final form, he turns into like this melted zombie space worm that looks pretty frightening. I mean, let's be honest. If you saw that, if you just woke up one night and saw that thing at like the foot of your bed, you'd probably freak out. I was pretty OP by the time I met up with Orgotamir for the final fights, mostly because I love the job system so much. You guys heard me rave about the job system last week, but I honestly think that I may have had the easiest time with Orgotamir than in any other Dragon Quest boss, except for maybe Dragon Quest Eleven. That one was pretty easy too, but it was the same reason as Dragon Quest Seven was easy. It's because I'd spent so much time fighting and leveling up and doing things. That by the time I actually got to the final boss, I was just beyond where I needed to be. And it was kind of just like an easy peasy done deal kind of thing. So Orgotamir for me stands out for for looking cool, being super evil, but also just from my personal experiences with the game, he is the easiest Dragon Quest final boss outside of maybe Dragon Quest Eleven that, that I had to face. He's definitely no Malroth. <laughs> now that kind of sort of, I guess, wraps it up for our deep dive into Dragon Quest 7, at least all of my thoughts, since, you know, BJ wasn't able to be here with us the last few weeks. 
As usual, though, because this is our episode on New Year. So last year, we counted down our five favorite games that released in 2019 and discussed why we liked all of those. And so this year, uh, I put together my five favorite games that released in 2020 that I played this past year and then just kind of why I liked all of those. So if you were only listening for the Dragon Quest VII stuff, then I apologize that that has has pretty much ended (laughs) for today's episode. But if you want to hear some of the great games that kind of stood out to me that I played in 2020, then that's what I'm going to be talking about for the last half of the show today. Now, this is kind of hard for me because I didn't play many games in 2020 that actually released in 2020. Most of the games that I played are much older than that. I mean, just in general, I usually don't play new release games as much as I play older video games. So I guess it makes sense that I didn't play that many 2020 games in 2020. But I would have to say probably my number five spot if I'm counting down like a top five. And honestly, out of all the games I played this year, probably only eight or nine of them really released in 2020. So so it wasn't too difficult to get a top five. But I would say my fifth one is probably Snack World. It was a bit of a disappointment. I love level five games and I was expecting Snack World to be like Fantasy Life, which it kind of sort of was, but then really wasn't. And so I was very disappointed in the game, but it made my top five just because I had a ton of fun playing it at the first of the year. And especially BJ, some of my other friends all got it. And it was just fun getting to talk to people and with friends online who were playing it at the same time. And so Snack World was fun to me, maybe not necessarily because the game was that fun because I was disappointed in it, but it was fun to me because of like the community, I guess, from getting to talk to friends about it and, and play it with them and things like that. It also stands out to me, honestly, because it may have been the last game I played before all the crazy COVID-19 stuff started happening. I guess Snack World kind of seems like normalcy, maybe. (laughs) That's why it kind of stuck out to me this past year. For number four, I have to go with RFL. This was an indie RPG I played back in the spring, and it reminded me of like a classic uh, saga game mixed with like Legend of Dragoon and maybe some early Star Ocean bits. I don't know. It's got a lot of bones from other JRPGs in it, uh, but it's still a lot of fun. And it released on Switch sometime right around the time all the lockdown stuff happened earlier in 2020. And so I remember playing it a lot and beating it during all of that time when it was like, back then at least, it was like, okay, cool. We're going to shut our doors for two weeks and then maybe stuff will open back up again. Ha ha ha. So number three for me would have to be Genshin Impact. People who know me personally probably are not surprised by that. I've had a ton of fun with Genshin Impact this past year. I think it took free to play games to just a whole new level. Usually for me, if it's a free to play game, it's like I might try it out because it's free but it doesn't necessarily stick with me or anything. And for whatever reason, Genshin Impact between just the world being pretty, it being fun to explore, and just, you know, gameplay, everything else, I really liked it. The humor that's in the game, I like it for a lot of reasons. Plus, my daughter, Naomi, she's four, she loves it. Um, And so it's this cool, laid-back game we can play together. She's actually probably getting better at it than I am because she's played it more the last, like, few weeks than I have. And it's still an enjoyable game, though. Even, you know, usually at least once a day, she's like, can I play Genshin Impact, Daddy? And 
most of the time I try to say yes, unless, you know, she's being like crazy or it's like nap time or something. But for whatever reason, Genshin Impact is definitely ranks high on my list for 2020. And it's probably the first free to play game that I have ever stuck with for more than like a few weeks or maybe a month tops. The second game, number two on my list, didn't quite take the top spot, but is pretty darn close, would be Trails of Cold Steel 3, the Switch version. The Switch version came out earlier in the summer and is pretty much responsible for me getting into the Trail series, which is probably my second favorite JRPG series outside of Dragon Quest now. I never played a Trails game. I knew about Trails game. I mean, I'm a huge JRPG fan, so of course I knew about these games already, but I never actually played one of these games before. And so Trails of Cold Steel 3 was coming out on Switch, and that was one of the big reasons why why I hadn't played it yet is because it wasn't available on Switch or a system that I had or that I typically played it on. And then I really, really loved it. Trials of Cold Steel 3, the other thing about it is that it, it's kind of promoted as like if you're new to the series, you can start here because the other the other Cold Steel games are only available on like PS Vita, PS4. So it's kind of a way of Falcom being like, hey, you can get into it even though it says three. And even though it's really in a long, much longer line uh, of JRPGs. And so I was like, all right, cool, I'll give it a try. And I thought the game did do a good job of serving as kind of like an introduction to the series. There's a lot of menus on the title screen that lets you read up on characters and past events and things like that. And I got about halfway, a little over halfway through it when I was like, you know what? I really love these characters. I love the turn-based combat, the gameplay, all this stuff. So I think I'm going to stick with the game series and play the rest of them. So I put three on hold and then went and bought the first two on PS4. And I hadn't been playing PS4 games much because of my kids being so young, it was, it was harder. But then right around this time, it was kind of serendipitous because right around this time, uh, my twins, who, who are the youngest, they started like actually sleeping through the night most of the time and, uh, and other things. So it was a lot easier to play on a TV screen now than it was to just you know play a Switch and kind of sleep it uh, at random times as like the kids woke up or whatever. And so because of that, I was able to go back and play the other ones. And so Trails of Cold Steel 3, it's a great game. I highly recommend it. I think it does pretty successfully work as a first entry into the series if you want to just check the series out and see what it's about. Number one spot for me has to go to Yakuza Like a Dragon. We did a whole episode about it a few weeks or months ago. Back then, I, I liked it. I was on the verge of loving it. And then once you got more characters, you, you opened up more mini games, the world exploration, all sorts of fun stuff. I really liked it even more. And I bought it because, hey, it's a turn-based RPG with a lot of Dragon Quest references. But that's not necessarily the reason I love it. I mean, the, the turn-based combat is a lot of fun, but the characters, they're just, they're very well written. I think it was pretty innovative to turn this like beat-em-up series into a turn-based RPG. It's just, it's been an incredible amount of fun. I never thought this game about, you know, gangsters in Japan would be as lighthearted at times as it was. And it just had some really silly off-the-wall moments. It had some really heartbreaking moments. Uh, I beat the main story last week, actually. It was an amazing game, and it's by far the most fun I've had playing a video game at all this entire year. 
I will say, I think it was a little bit, I beat it in a little less than 40 hours. I think probably the last couple of chapters for me, even though they were really short chapters, uh, to me, I was just kind of, I was ready to beat the game at that point. It was like, it kind of felt, the game felt a little bit longer than I really wanted it to be. But that's honestly like the only complaint I can, I can throw its way. Overall, Yakuza Like a Dragon, by far my favorite game of 2020. And honestly, maybe one of my, my favorite games that I've played just in like the last like 10 years or maybe ever. I mean, I loved this game. So that does it for today's episode. But before we go, I just want to say that I know 2020 was a hard year for a lot of people. I'm not going to try to get on the mic and preach for a long time or anything like that. But I mean, it was it was a hard year for me. It was the year, you know, my brother-in-law died. I, I lost my job for like the first time ever and was unemployed with three young children that I was worried about taking care of. And it was also the year all this crazy COVID stuff happened all around the world. So I get it. It was a, it was a hard year for me. I know it's been a hard year for like everybody else. I mean, it wasn't all bad. I got I got a fun new job writing about video games full time. My family and I, we've managed to stay healthy during all of this. It's been really nice just getting to stay at home and hang out with everybody. So it hasn't all been bad, but overall 2020, let's face it, has sucked. I know things aren't going to be instantly better whenever the calendar rolls into 2021, but maybe just be like nice to somebody, say hi to somebody you cross on the street or like wave to the car sitting next to you at a red light. I'm, again, I'm not trying to be too preachy here, but 2021 isn't going to be instantly better. Uh, but I think the way we make it through the year is just by being kind. So maybe just be kind to somebody today and let's try to get 2021 off to a, a decent start as good as it can be. Remember, if you want to talk to Dragon Quest FM, you can totally do that. We're on Twitter at Dragon Quest FM. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dragon Quest FM. If you want to talk to me personally, you can totally do that. I'm on Twitter at Dragon Quaston. I also have another podcast. It's called JRPGs and Me, where I'm talking about all sorts of JRPGs. I finished up the last episode of season one of the year uh, last week, I believe. Anyway, it covers Blue Dragon which, you know, Akira Toriyama designed monsters and characters for. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, please check it out. Thanks for listening today, all year long, however many episodes you've listened to. Thank you, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.